Hey, this is Timothy Brown, co-designer of the Dark Sun Universe, and you're listening to Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, the Dark Sun Podcast. Welcome to Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, a Dark Sun podcast. I'm your host, Robert. And I'm Jesse. In this episode, we have the honor of having the author of Thrykeen of Athos with us, Tim Beach. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So the month of this episode's release is October 2021, which marks 30 years since Dark Sun's release. So happy birthday, Dark Sun. <laughs> so hopefully uh, the editor will be able to get these synced up a little bit better. But uh, welcome, Tim. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I am happy to be here. <laughs> Let's talk about what's going on in Dark Sun fandom. There's been quite a uh, quite a few things. It's been a w- little while since we recorded. Um, so there's you know the usual arguing about whether or when we'll see a fifth edition version of Dark Sun. Um, on that topic, Jesse posted a great Twitter thread about how uh, how to do and how not to do uh, Dark Sun in Five E. That got a lot of conversation both on Twitter and in the Facebook group all over the place. Uh, that was that was a really interesting thread, Jess. Thank you. Um, really, it was prompted by the fact that every few months we'll see someone release a not-quite-dark-sun idea or product or Kickstarter. In this case, it was a Kickstarter. Uh, and sometimes these people are folks who, who have a strong background with Dark Sun, like the Dragon Kings Project, and sometimes they're folks who maybe don't seem to have so much of a strong background. And it raises questions about, okay, what what really is a good way to reintroduce Dark Sun to people 30 years on? And and how has the game industry shifted? What are the sorts of things that players are looking for from their gaming? And what does that mean for what you're going to do if you're going to develop something that is an ersatz Dark Sun? Yeah, so that, you know, I think, I feel like we're just going to keep getting these conversations until something actually comes out. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, so Mark Hope, he continues his modified second edition campaign on the Lawful Stupid Twitch channel. They also have a podcast version, which is great. Um, so that's uh, To Tame a Land. You can find that um, wherever you get your podcasts. Mark also has posted a bunch of his Dark Sun content on the Lawful Stupid blog. So check that out if you like uh, some modified second edition stuff. Uh, meanwhile, Josh, our friendly Athasian runner, uh, keeps releasing the Ashes of Athos 5e playthrough and reminding me how much I really want to be in that game. Um, <laughs> so that's totally worth a look. Uh, if you are languishing for ideas of, of what a Dark Sun game actually looks like in 5e, boom, there's your go-to. Yeah, um, I released a bunch of partially finished projects that were languishing in the files. Um, I, I made a file, uh, a drive file called uh, the burnt world of Athos open project folder and it includes a bunch of stuff that like people started over the years and stopped um when we were made like the official dark sun website back in like the 2000s um tsr or wizards of the coast gave us um some files and part of the part of our you know for being being called the official uh website we were tasked with converting them to third edition. And so we did a lot of that, but then some of the other stuff kind of just 
you know, just with so many cooks in the kitchen, a lot of times there were lots of discussions that went on forever. And so things never got done. And then time went on and then people got, you know, most of us were young back then and people got lives and, and, you know, families and all that kind of stuff. So things took forever. And so some of that stuff finally uh, is getting put out. So the Deadlands is one of those projects. Um, New Jack, AKA Jack Meyer is heading that up. Um, So he's picking up what Austin Butcher did um, for Secrets of the Deadlands and the Emissary. Um, And then there's also the city state of Kern, the prison state of Elderick and the Trembling Plains. And a lot of that was actually original content written by like Brax, uh, Peter Nuttall and uh, uh, Will Kendrick and a a bunch of those guys. Then there's also the city state of Selleck and city state of Balick and then Unseen Ways, which was a psionics document. So there's a bunch of projects that are kind of like waiting for people to pick up. Um, So if you're interested in picking up any any of that uh, please reach out on the thread on the arena and I'll put a, we'll put a link in the show notes for all that stuff. And uh, maybe we'll get some more of that content out there. Plus, if you're not already there, you should be following the dark sun discord. There's been a lot of chat about this and other topics, and you can always find useful links there. Uh, and a lot of inspirational ideas from chatting with other dark sun aficionados. It's a great place to come together in real time with other dark sun players and DMS. Definitely. And um, while we, I was releasing projects, I decided to release another public repository of Dark Sun documents on Google Drive as well. This is mostly like fan-made stuff, but some of it was like the errata that TSR and Wizards of the Coast released and kind of various pieces of other Dark Sun ephemera. So if you want to add anything, if you have stuff that, you know, has been sitting on your drive forever and you want to make sure all the Dark Sun fans get it, uh, I will put a link to, to that, to the upload folder. And if you can just throw it up there and we'll put it in the right place. And that way, hopefully fans will have it forever here's hoping yeah all right well let's let's get to the topic of the day and we're going to talk about uh you know thrycreen of athos but before we get to the book itself let's let's talk about tim so tim has really run uh really run the gamut of work for tsr as far as settings go he wrote for forgotten realms maztica dragonlance gamma world basic dnd planescape mistara and savage coast did i miss anything there tim Possibly, but not, nothing that comes to mind immediately. <laughs> I have a I have a long list. I don't necessarily immediately remember everything. <laughs> After the heyday of TSR settings, um, then in the two thousands, there were quite a few third edition products. Uh, I saw a couple of Pathfinder products, and then most recently in uh, twenty twenty, some work for Legendary Games on Five E's Ultimate Kingdom, and some Deadlands work. So you've been writing for nearly as long as uh, Darkson has been around, at least uh, officially for, for, for TSR. How did you get involved in writing and how did you specifically get to write for TSR? Okay, well, that's uh, uh, what I think is kind of an interesting story anyway. Um, so uh, when I was in college, I hit uh, kind of a crisis point after... Uh, after about four and a half years of majoring in computer science, I, I hit this crisis point and I saw a couple of my friends uh, talking about computer science stuff. And I thought, man, they love computers. And I like computers, but I didn't love them that much. And I didn't want to sit in front of a computer and program all day. Um, so I thought, well, what can I do instead? What's interesting to me? And uh, so I came to gaming and I thought that there are so many different things to do in gaming um, that uh, that really is interesting to me. 
Uh, so I switched my major to history and uh, because I thought that would give me writing experience, and it did, and it also gave me a lot of background to pull from for what I wrote. Um, and then somewhere in there, uh, there was um, a contest through the RPGA, the Role Playing Game Association, um, which was an arm of TSR. And the contest was to submit entries for a medieval fantasy circus. Um, and, and I wrote some up and I think I kind of subconsciously half sabotaged myself and I missed the deadline, um, which I think was unconsciously on purpose. And I turned them in a couple days after the deadline at a convention. Um, and they, uh, they were, I, I turned in three of them, um, and, uh, they were accepted immediately i mean the immediately being the next day after um gene raby had a chance to read through them um and they asked me to put together some more so um i think i went home and wrote another four entries and uh, ended up having a a good number of entries in that product um so that gave me a foot in the door and it helped build my confidence that what i was doing was actually something that other people wanted to see um which is vital (laughs) um you know you can create all day but if nobody else wants to see it well who cares (laughs) so um and then came a a period of uh, kind of uh, back and forth and and lucky happenstance um but i also discovered that you make your own luck in a lot of ways Uh, so this was about the time that uh, mastica was becoming a thing uh, and the the novels had come out uh they were written by douglas niles um and so at gen con i uh waited to i went to a seminar where where doug was talking and i caught him afterwards and we talked a little bit about uh the mastican calendar and how it related to the uh, the actual mayan calendar and stuff like that and then after the convention i actually sent him a snail mail letter that described the Mayan calendar and how it could be adapted to the Forgotten Realms from Azteca. And a couple months went by, and then he wrote back and said, hey, I'm behind on a deadline. Would you like to contribute some pages to Mazteca? And of course. <laughs> so um, so I went to Wisconsin. I, lived, I grew up in Iowa um, and uh, college in Missouri. So I went to Wisconsin. I had a couple of cousins that, were, that lived in the area uh, near Lake Geneva, like eight miles out. And so I stayed with them and, uh, and I went over to Doug's place and I, I gave him my ideas. And on the basis of that, he paid me half in advance. And I didn't find out until later, but he paid me from his own pocket. He was subcontracting um, <laughs> for this. Uh, so, uh, again, a, a real a confidence boost. <laughs> um, so, and I, and I also found out later that uh, Doug, well, he ended up not using everything for the box set. He used a few pages and he handed off the rest of it uh, to Jeff Grubb who was going to write the first adventure. And I found out later that uh, Doug went to his boss, Jim Ward, and recommended that I be hired as a designer. And so did Jeff, uh, same thing. Um, and, uh, and I wrote it and I went home. Um, and uh, then a couple months later, uh, it was time for the winter fantasy convention um, in uh, also in Milwaukee. So I went back up and 
God, uh, and I get a little mixed up. So this would have been 1990 um, when I did the work for Doug. And in 1990, I was running for political office. Um, I was running for state representative in Iowa hmm. um, and uh, running against a, a 30, 30 year incumbent uh, for the office. And I got a third of the vote, which sounds much better than I got beat two to one. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, so when so when Gen Con happened in 1990, um, Gene and uh, Skip Williams offered me the job of RPGA assistant, uh, tournament coordinator, um, and I said, "Well, I would love to, but." it would look really bad for me to take a job a couple of months before the election happens. So I'm afraid I have to say no. So switch ahead to January winter fantasy. By this time, the guy that they had hired had kind of uh, self-destructed. Um, and so, and this was so winter fantasy happened. I turned in a resume um, and then I went back and I wrote for Doug um, and uh, by this time, they were ready to hire again for that position, the tournament coordinator for the RPGA. Um, so I interviewed uh, with uh, Jean as we were on our way to dinner one night. And, uh, and she said, how soon could you start? And I said, well, pretty much any time. And she said, how about Monday? <laughs> um, and I, this was Thursday or Friday. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, sure. Um, and so I got hired as RPGA tournament coordinator. And then... Um, and I hadn't been in that position for very long before I started getting questions from uh, this previous work that I'd done in Mastika. Well, do you want to be a designer? Well, yes, but now I've got this obligation to RPGA and I really can't leave before the next Gen Con they're depending on. So sometime that summer, um, between when I got hired in, uh, I want to say it was March, and uh, August, when Gen Con was, um, a note appeared on my chair one morning. And the note was, if you are still interested in the design position, please take this design test, uh, create an encounter based on the Vikings handbook. There's a Vikings handbook with it. And turn it into Jim Ward's secretary. And so I did that. And the, the interesting thing I thought about this note was it didn't have my name on it and it wasn't signed. It was like half secret. Um, <laughs> But I found out later that uh, Gene and Skip and I all submitted an encounter for the Vikings Handbook, um, which eventually Gene turned into an adventure that combined all three of them. Um, but uh, and then came a period of a couple of months where I watched people come in for interviews and they interviewed in the room directly across from my cubicle. So I'm watching people interviewing and I'm thinking they are interviewing for my job, <laughs> not, not the job that I had, but the job that I wanted and right. trying not to have this really competitive streak crop up for me. Right. <laughs> um, so, and then I walked in one Monday morning and I got a call from our computer department. Her name was Judy, not a big department. And she said, so you're transferring, right? And I said, oh, well, I hadn't heard. Um, and uh, they made me wait until Thursday until they told me officially I was hired into design. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so that's the probably too long story of how I became a for TSR. 
It's always interesting. There was a similar kind of story with, between uh, Gary Watkins and Walter Bass about the city state of tear, where the same kind of thing happened. Walter uh, kind of just had Gary Wright kind of on the side, you know, sort of paid him out of his own pocket for it too. So that that's kind of funny that that's a was seem, seemingly a common thing back then. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I guess it happened a lot more then. Um, so how did you get, uh, you know? into Dark Sun. So you'd kind of been there for a while. You've written a few things and how was sort of the Dark Sun, uh, Thry Queen of Athos pitched to you or was it pitched to you or did you pitch it? How did that work? I grabbed it when it became available. But, uh, so the people that I watched interview, um, across from my cubicle included Thomas Reed and John Ratliff and Rich Baker. And so the Monday that they told me, uh, that I got the call uh, that I was transferring and, and hadn't heard it myself. Uh, they talked about it in the product group meeting that I went to that, that afternoon. And they said, okay, we've hired uh, Thomas Reed and John Ratliff as an editor and Rich Baker as a designer. Does anybody know who the other designer is? And I've gotten this news from the computer department. I'm thinking maybe I do, but I don't really want to say anything in case I'm wrong. <laughs> um, but uh it ended up that Rich and Thomas and John and I, having come in at the same time, um, we started kind of hanging out together and talking about stuff. Um, and uh, when Dark Sun came out, Thomas Reed started running a Dark Sun campaign. Um, and uh, Rich was in it, and Rich's wife, Kim, and uh, Thomas and his wife, uh, Teresa. Um, and, uh, and I played, and Wolf Bauer played, and Colin McComb played. Um, and there may have been one or two others that uh, dropped in occasionally, but that was kind of the core group uh, that the bunch of us played together. Um, and so in this Dark Sun campaign, I had a Thrycreen character because I thought Thrycreen were cool. Mm -hmm. And um, you actually see a lot of that in the Thrycreen book. Uh, my character was Ka'acha. Uh, the uh, the one yeah. that uh, the great race is based on and the one that shows up um, well the, the great race is actually based on events from the campaign um, my character died in the campaign uh, stabbed through the uh, the carapace with uh, uh, the scorpion like tail of a gelagon um, from the eighth plane of hell and uh, <laughs> so um, and tick tick uh, the character that uh, jumped in and tried to stay beforehand that was uh, Wolf Bauer's character. Um, and uh, Drasna, the human that's involved in the great race, that was Teresa Reed's character. <laughs> so um, when it came time for the Thrycreen book, and the way they would do this was they would announce a preliminary schedule. And if you wanted something, you'd kind of basically put in a bid. Um, and so uh, I, you know, I said, I want Thrycreen. I don't care if I get anything else. I want Thrycreen. That's my book. Um, and fortunately, they recognized that uh, I was playing a Thrycreen. I was into it. I had the knowledge. Um, I had the Dark Sun background. And so I was given the project. So that's where I ended up with Thrycreen and Dark Sun. <laughs> what sort of prep did you do then? Because the Thrycreen of Athos book has a lot about the culture and, and even the, the thinking patterns of the cream that are very different from other character types. Uh, what 
sort of inspired your creativity in that regard to give the the hunt mind and the pack mentality and the the uh, racial memory for the the cream. Well, it's a lot of it developed during play. Um, and, uh, you know, I took what was, what was in the bark box set, which was fairly sparse and, uh, um, and anything else I could get my hands on any place where the thrycreen were mentioned. Uh, and I started pulling it all together and, uh, the, um, like the language came from, uh, my character's name. Uh, deciding what Ka and Cha meant, and uh, and Wolf Bauer's name, uh, Tick Tick, uh, for his character, uh, deciding that uh, both Tick meant hunter, so he was a hunter of hunter or a guardian. And so everywhere that I saw a thrycreen term or something that seemed like it was probably a thrycreen term, that would inform my building of the language. And the alienness was. Um, for me, it started out as uh, mostly a role-playing decision. I mean, it was informed by the, the Dark Sun bark, box set. I keep saying bark set. The box set. Um, and, uh, you know, anything that was there that talked about how different they were, um, that's what I latched onto and, uh, and role-played. Um, and, you know, started just making notes and making decisions and, and making stuff up. Um, so that's, that's where a lot of it came from and just trying to keep that alien mindset in mind. Like Jesse was saying, you know, there's, there's just so much in it. Like there's so much depth and really fantastic kind of minutia. It really makes the, the race come alive. And it's one of those books that, you know, we'll, we'll probably never see an official book that has that level of depth, uh, anymore from wizards. I think now that they're really going to, uh, really lean on fans to kind of put that kind of stuff up on the DM skilled. So, uh, kudos for getting in there on that kind of awesome detail. So let's really start now with kind of going through the book. Um, and you know, there's a, a, a lot to this book. And so we're going to skim through a ton of it. Really what we're looking for here is uh, really cool stories from, uh, uh, from Tim about, you know, the, the creation of the book and things like that. So let's kind of get into it. Um, so the beginning of the book is a, you know, like many Dark Sun uh, books has a little story um, about, um, you know, just about Thrycreen and, and kind of the before times. And so there was a question, actually, I put it later on, but I'm going to ask it now because as I'm looking at this introduction story, it talks about like the blue times. And someone had asked, uh, let me go find that question now. But uh, like, what can you tell me, like, tell us about what you thought about creating, like when, you know, when the Kreen were one of the few races on, uh, on Athos. You know, like I said, in college, I switched my major to history. So um, a lot of that was research and, uh, and figuring out how, you know, how things um, fit together from our point of view. Uh, maybe they didn't fit together th that way at the time, but uh, from our point of view, looking back on things, we can, uh, we, you know, have a perspective about it. Um, so that's a lot of uh, the attitude that I took into Thrycreen. Well, where did they come from? How did they get started? Um, and uh, so, yeah, I wanted to go way back and uh, and talk about how they uh, began as a, a minor race that they're they weren't uh, found in many areas. And then uh, the green times came and the hunting was good. And then the, the brown times came where the, uh, the desert took over and that's when they really came into their own. Um, so 
that was uh, it was lending a historical perspective and picking up um you know like i said anything that i could find about uh, thrycreen anytime they were mentioned in any dark sun product um and trying my best to integrate that into the uh, the book Moving on here, there's uh, some pronunciation, which is awesome. You know, like the one that was another thing. One of Zach McKeon asks, he says, "Can you pronounce clutch breaker?" And he gives the quote of and the spelling, and I'll let you answer that. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah, I saw that one. Um, <laughs> okay, and there's a there's a little discrepancy in the pronunciations in the book um, in the in the click. Um, click pop sound. Um, whether you do it with the uh, the uh, the tongue coming down from the roof of the mouth, or whether you do it with the pop from the lips, um, but they both come out to basically the same thing. And uh, so, um, yeah, ko. Wow! Nice. That's impressive. Impressive. <laughs> See, my dark sun character, who's not Crean, but speaks to them frequently, <laughs> has to rely on having some sticks with ridges on them that can be rubbed together or smacked together in order to make popping and buzzing noises. Nice. I like that, too. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. Looking through, you you know, one of the things I love about this and then like same with the Elves of Athos book is that there's so much language. Like, I love having the little... Uh, glossaries of just all the different words and how they're all, you know, uh, they all they all are created by smaller words. I, I just love that. Uh, it allows people to kind of make their own stuff up too, which is really, really cool. It's really great inspiration for uh, players who are yeah, trying to you. get into the mindset of the characters too, to see like, these are the central words in the language. These are the core important concepts that you need to know. And then develop that in, as they're sort of like having a, a Crean character who's joined a, a clutch with non-Crean and is trying to get them to understand their right. way of thinking. When we were working on the book, um, John Pickens, John Pickens, the editor, um, actually one day when we were talking about things, made a bilingual pun using English and Thry Crean uh, with the uh, the joke. Uh, what does the Thrycreen clock say on Easter? Well, tick tock, hunt eggs, hunt eggs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that is amazing. Wow. <laughs> Looking into that Crean history and, and memory, um, Rovwin says there's some disagreement about who the great one is. Was the great one supposed to be the great Crean leader or was it referring to the Evangion of which there's the, the broken statue uh was the crean an evangelion or is this a deliberately muddled piece of crean history okay so rec reclaiming my memory of that um and understand that the adventure was written by dory um and uh, so we didn't necessarily coordinate everything between the adventure and the source book part of it uh so part of that uh, came from her and then me uh, backfilling to make things match. Uh, so here's what here's what I say in my mind um, it was. I think the the Evangion that is mostly referred to is human, um, or was human before becoming an Evangion. 
Um, but the great one, the Thrycreen, became the Thrycreen equivalent of an Avangia. So would the great one be a, a Kreen magician then, or something else? Like perhaps a Kreen that had found a new metamorphosis in the way that the Zikchil and the Trin are different evolutions of the Kreen form. I think that um, probably the the Zikchil played a role in that transformation, and so it wasn't it wasn't the same as uh, the way a sorcerer king uh, or a dragon king uh, transforms, and it's not the same way that an Evangion transforms. Um, but it's something that parallels it um, more based on psionics and. If you're using the uh, the Zix chill Zix chill, then the uh, the biological uh, transformations there. So um, it would be a, a third branch of apotheosis. Nice, and I think a lot of people have questions about kind of the stuff that was added, you know, to to this book that was sort of different than a lot of things that we had seen. So. Uh, let's just jump into the Zik Chill conversation now because that, you know, that was something that was kind of in there and everyone's like, oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, the Torcreen are not the same as as we originally had them. So tell us kind of what your idea around the Zik Chill was. It started as a throwaway, really. <laughs> uh, the Zik Chill um, related to the Zik Chill from the Spelljammer setting. Um, but the more I got to thinking about it, uh, the more, uh, that I added and, and, and I think even reading some of the comments that, uh, and questions that I've seen over the last couple of days regarding the podcast, um, I've started kind of adding to that story in my head. So I think that the, the Zikchil, um, probably trained under the the halfling fleshbenders, as somebody called it, um, and uh, and I think that uh, that's a good place for them to get their start. So they've been around for thousands of years with their own racial memories um, that uh, they were altered uh, from the Thrycreen base stock um, in a different way than any other Thrycreen uh, subrace was um, by the halflings, and so that they have carried this uh, and I can't remember the, the name of the guy that uh, said it, but uh, called it flesh bending. And I think that's a brilliant term. Um, and uh, that was uh, Jason O'Mahony, I think maybe, but uh, yeah, I think that's a, a brilliant term um, for it. So that when the Thrycreen begin um forming organizations and uh, something beyond the clutch uh, the packs and the nations and eventually the empire, uh, then I think that that's when the Zik chill became um, more of players in it. Um, so the, the idea of the um, uh, Zikrin, uh, the modified Torkreen, um I really didn't want the Thrike the I didn't want the civilized Thrycreen to have that much of a physical advantage over regular Thrycreen. So that was where that came from. That the Thry, that the Torcreen described in the Monstrous Compendium were not really what the Thrycreen think of of as Torcreen, uh, but they were something different. They were something that had been augmented. Hmm. Um. 
And that way it puts them on more of an even footing and it allows them to use the same sub races uh, in the uh, table lands as we do in the hinterlands. Um, and I don't have to come up with uh, something new or, or say that uh, they're different. And this gives them more of a commonality once they get there. Um, and it gives me the opportunity to create the, the super cream, um, the match for the, the Tor cream become the Zictrin Ta, the scouts from the empire. Um, and then I created the Zictrin Ak, which are the, the uber warriors, uh, from that same society. That's amazing. Cause one of the questions I was going to ask was how the, the, Zictrin's shaping was related to the life shaping and flesh bending that was done by the rule thawne from wind riders of the jagged cliffs and whether this was all part of a, a greater sort of plot arch and it sounds like it was that the cream themselves inherited essentially some of these techniques from the the halflings and in the what is the now current present day of the table lands and the hinterlands the cream probably have a better handle on that sort of uh, biological manipulation than the, the last remaining halflings and the jagged cliffs do, but it probably is related only to their own species. Um, so what can you tell us about that being part of sort of a, an overarching plot line? Overarching plot lines at that time existed in the head of individual designers. Um, we would get together and we would discuss some things that were going on in the campaign worlds, uh, but we were given a lot of free reign otherwise. So this was uh, a plot line that was mostly in my head. Um, and part of it was coincidence uh, that, uh, you know, I started with the, uh, the alterations that I wanted to make to the Torcreen and then thought, oh, well, that looks a lot like what the halflings were doing. So, yeah, that's, uh, that makes a lot of sense that it's related. But, but as you said, it is purely within their own race um, or collection of races, as it uh, may be, since the, uh, the, um, the Zik Chill can't uh, crossbreed with a, a true Kreen. Um, so this uh, does cast kind of a... a sinister aspect on the zik chill which uh which i think is cool um i i, I don't think i had that uh, sinister aspect in mind when i was writing the book at least not much i mean the spell jammer uh zik chill were a kind of this uh, senator sinister offshoot uh, so um it may have been in the back of my head but uh, i i certainly didn't bring it out in the book at all nice so you mentioned uh you know, multiple races of Thrycreen. And I feel like, uh, if I recall that the Thrycreen were really the first race, um, in Dark Sun to have multiple races. Uh, so Mike Fleming asks, like, where did the idea of the two races of Kreen in the Tablelands come from the Gerald and the Toxa? Uh, the, okay. So all the Thrycreen races, um, are based purely on artwork. Um, so the Jeral are the, uh, the, the Thrycreen that are drawn by Gerald Brom and the Toksa are the ones drawn by Tom Baxa. Um, <laughs> and they had such a different look between those two artists, uh, that I felt like, that I felt like obviously these are different subspecies. 
Um, so that's where that came from. And the other races of Thrycreme, um, the uh, uh, the Jahal is the original Thrycreme from the monster cards uh, that uh, were the first appearance of the Thrycreme. Jeff Holloway did those or Jim Holloway, sorry, Jim Holloway did those. So Jim Holloway becomes Jahal. Uh, the black Thrycreen are the uh, the Jeff Easley Thrycreen that you see on one of the covers of the Monster uh, Monsters Compendiums. Uh, so Jeff Easley, Jez. And then the last two, um, the Tekich I named after... I named after myself. Uh, to Keech, my middle name is Michael. So T K from Michael, and uh, each from Beach. Uh, so To Keech are, are mine, and the Tondi are the uh, the ones that are based on uh, pictures that Tony Dietrilizzi sent me um, of a very floral looking uh, mantis. Nice, that is amazing. Wow. Yeah, and so I saw another question that asked if I ever had any other subspecies in mind, and no, not really, um, but I was prepared if somebody else came up with a new artist concept. <laughs> and it was tempting to do um, a Jadal uh, for John Dollar, who did the art um, uh, for the Thrycreen book, uh, because he, God, he not only captured uh, the essence of all uh, all of the other artists, um, but he added a spin where he kind of brought them together, um, which was also brilliant. That's fantastic. That's such that's such a cool revelation. I feel like that is, uh, you know, there's so much of, uh, you know, we see so much of that of of uh, of spells and things being named after designers. So I think that's that's super cool. Uh, I don't think I've uh, I don't think I've run into anything where things were named after the artist, at least that I've recognized. And so this is super cool. I, I really like that. Thank you. Uh, so I have what's maybe a really obscure question that I only just thought of. So I'm catching you by surprise because it's not on the, uh, the document, but um, our list. Uh, there was a race of six limbed insect people in Tecumel, Empire of the Petal Throne, way back in 77, I want to say. Do you know if that maybe influenced the Kreen at all, or was this just independent development? I know Jeff D. did some art of them. Boy, you know, I'm not sure if uh, if it was influenced by them or not. Uh, the, the monster card, um, there were four sets of cards. And each one introduced a unique new monster. Um, and the Thrycreen was hands down the, the coolest um, of the four monsters that were introduced there. Um, but I don't know. I'm sure. I, I want to say, say it was Tim Cask, maybe. No, it wasn't Tim Cask. Um, shoot. I can't remember who did uh, the... Um, the original artwork for the uh, Thrycreen for the cards. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if it came from the artist or from the author of the cards. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Holloway. Well, the, the artist for the cards was the was Jim Holloway, yes. Right. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, where he got the idea or, um, or if uh, he was basing it on the writing. Or gotcha. where it came from exactly. Okay, it's the the Pechoy are basically sort of insect people with six limbs and large abdomens that show up in in Tecumel. So 
who knows? But um, certainly uh, insectoid creatures are not strangers to D&D. Yeah. There's the aspis that showed up in the slavers modules and so on. So looking on right. through um, through the book here let, and looking at some of the questions, um, you know, you've a- answered so many of them already just about the Zik Chill and the Zik Trin and all, you know, all of the the flesh crafting and all that. Um, oh, and then you said Dory kind of did the adventure. So there's a question here that's kind of based on the adventure. So we'll kind of leave that one. Um and then Larry Kinzer says, like, I like I'd like more information about the Crimson Savannah city info and ecology, geography, sociology, anything that's relevant to actually running a campaign there in that area. And one question that I always kind of had and thought of was like, okay, so you know, all these there's these striking nations up there. How does like a regular group of player characters that's not all Thrykreen like travel around there? I just feel, I, I always just imagine them just getting hunted and and killed by 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 all the Thrykreen there. Or are there kind of other non-Kreen in the nations? Well, as to his specific question, uh, I don't know. This is one of those cases where I would sit down and do some research and uh, and start coming up with some stuff, but I I don't have anything on it right now. Um, as for uh, non-Kreen characters going to the Northern Empires. Um, keep in mind that while the the hunt is important uh, to them, it's not uh, the the core of their being like it is to the uh, uh, the cream of the tablelands um, or the tier region, if you want to call it that. The uh, the Torquine nations um, have hunters certainly, but. Uh, I picture, and there was another question about uh, how these uh, cities are set up. So in my mind, uh, the Torcrene cities are set up so that you have, um, where in uh, human and elven societies and dwarven societies, you have specialized individuals. In the Torcrene societies in the cities, you would have specialized clutches. So you would have a... Um, a weapon weapon making clutch and uh, you would have a hunting clutch and uh, different things that are specialized in, in uh, very different aspects of their society so not every torcreen in the empire is going to go out hunting um and so that's that kind of gives you leeway and plus the novelty of the non-kreen in the kreen empire i think would uh, also give them a lot of um a lot of uh, instant fame and curiosity more than what do they taste like? Although that's certainly going to be a question. <laughs> um, so the, I think that's how they would interact as a kind of uh, unknowns and, uh, and X factors and, and minor celebrities because they are uh, something new and unique. That makes sense. So talking about the, um, kind of the empire Brian Bach from the dark sun Facebook group asks, what was the plot or what, you know, what was the plot going to be for the never released Thrykreen invasion? Or was there a plot there? Or was that just dangling? That was dangling. Uh, there was, hmm, there was not so much of a plot as there was an idea. And, um, and the the unfortunate thing about uh, that idea was that it, it would have ruined the Dark Sun setting. Um, 
because it would have changed the focus from this environmental disaster and what do you want to do about that and do you want to bring back the Blue Age or the Green Age? Um, and it would have changed the focus to a war. And, uh, and wars can make kind of temporary um, interesting things for a campaign setting, but as a background for a campaign setting, they kind of suck. Uh, because it means that a lot of your adventures end up being about the same thing. Um, and it uh, takes some of the variety about it. And like I said, it, it, it takes the focus off of the whole environmental crisis. And do you want to make a, a thorough change to the world? So um, it was a dangling thread. And I'm not sad that we never went with it because it would have changed things so much. That's interesting. I just did a, a poll recently in the Dark Sun group um, asking, like, what are your top five unresolved Dark Sun threads that you would like to see more content around? And the number two, right after the Deadlands, which is already, you know, we're going to be putting out soon, um, is the Torkreen Empires. So uh, it's interesting that you say that, that it would change it drastically. Um, but also, you know, so many fans seem to be interested in how it would change. Well, I think what I would do. I think what I would do is if I was running that campaign, um, I would do it as a, an expansion of the already existing invasion. Uh, there's already an invasion by scouts and the occasional warrior, um, that come from the Torkreen empires, the empire rather. And, uh, I think I would start expanding that to where the other player characters are becoming aware of these aren't normal Thrykreen and introduce it that way. And um, maybe not build it into a full-fledged war, but it could, but it could lead into um, uh, what, uh, you know, what are the Zikchil actually up to? Are they supporting the Torkreen emperor or is it something else that they have in mind? So, uh, Jonathan Carnes on that note wanted to know how long until the mammals die out and the Kreen reign supreme over Athos. Well, that is another option. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think if the, the, the Torkreen did invade, um, then that's, uh, you know, certainly a different way to go. And then that does change the setting, um, which I think would also be an interesting setting if you've got, uh, the, um, mammalian resistance against the uh, Thrykreen overlords. <laughs> nice. That'd be cool. Definitely. Um, let's see. Corbin SB had asked, uh, you know, had you ever played a Thrykreen? And if so, what was his backstory? Obviously, we got some of that in the book, but is there anything else that you can add about uh, Kacha? Uh, Kacha um, was. Um, okay, so Kacha was uh, the quintessential Thrykreen of the, uh, the uh, in my mind, um, one that is uh, seeking knowledge and not just um, out to hunt for food, but to hunt for um, something that's going to help uh, for more for the future, the, the knowledge and the experience. Um, Ka'acha was my character, Ka'atho was my character, and in uh, a different campaign, Klik uh, Chagado, uh, the narrator, uh, was one of my characters. Um, so yes, I played uh, uh, Thrykreen in uh, various forms. Um, Ka'acha uh, liked his uh, human companions. Uh, my character was very good friends with um, uh, Teresa's character, Drasna, 
And, uh, but it, I kind of played him like a prankster a little bit too. Um, Like when there was an elf in the party, I think Colin McComb was playing an elf, if I remember right. Um, And so occasionally when he was sleeping, I would go and just kind of stare at him and wait for him to wake up. (laughs) And I would do similar things with um, my psionics. Uh, I had, um, I had the uh, psychometabolism uh, ability to shrink. And so I thought a cool thing to do would be to levitate, um, shrink down and wait for somebody to pass underneath. And then suddenly you've got 400 pounds of thracrine on top of it. That's great. And Kacha was uh, a cleric psionicist uh, like the, he was a thracrine uh, um, cleric psionicist. And that tended to be the, the mix that I thought was very good in Dark Sun, where you had the combat abilities, um, the healing abilities, and then the wild card psionics. All right, so uh, kind of getting away from um, you know some of the background, um, one of the interesting things about uh, the book itself is that there is no chapter seven. So what really what happened to chapter seven? Like, is it was it just like a case of misnumbering, or was something cut from the book? <laughs> Did the Zik chill change it? <laughs> uh, a little bit of both. <laughs> I did like that idea. Uh, the um, uh, There was a little bit of both. Um, somewhere about maybe a month before the end of the project, I realized my organization was bad. Um, and so I went to... Uh, John, the editor, and I said, I want to change this and I want to put these chapters here and I want to move this there. Um, And I think chapter seven was originally supposed to be like the monstrous compendium entries. Uh, So with the um, the Thraytrin and uh, the Zictrin Ak and uh, and anything else that we wanted. And I probably would have put in a Zikchil and a couple of other things in there uh, because my my other passion um, besides Dark Sun is monsters. Uh, I put together the Monsters Manual um, and uh, and things like that. So I think that was what it was meant to be. But in the reorganization, it got dropped in favor of just a few pages at the end of the adventure. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. So on that on that topic of like you know Zikchil monsters, yeah. Did you ever kind of create create one of those? No, not, not really. Um, I mean, I had them, uh, had them in my head, uh, but, uh, uh, I never even used them in a campaign. Um, so I never ended up writing them and I would have, uh, fallen back largely on the, the spell jammer entry and, uh, and built from there, uh, taken some things away, added some other things. All right. Uh, so let, I mean, that kind of takes us through most of the book and we're already running on kind of 55 minutes here. Uh, there's yeah. a couple of other questions here at the end. Uh, you got something, Jesse? Uh, no, I was just going to say, let's get to some of our hanging questions here for the, the end of the show. See if we could squeeze in everyone before we wrap it up. Um, why don't we uh, go with the Frederick Leclerc uh, okay. asking a historical question which is what was the cream population like back in the green and blue ages did they were they all over the place or 
did the Thrykreen used to be a small and isolated group, and then the massive destruction caused by the the wars of Rajat and the champions created sort of a space for them to grow by shifting the ecosystem to be more favorable to them. Right, and I think the uh, uh, the whole change in the ecosystem was very important to the Thrykreen. In the Blue Times, um, I pictured them as uh, isolated uh, little uh basically clutches or very small packs. Um, and they would have had wings at the time. So they would have been able to travel between uh, little islands and so forth. Um, and so the population was very low. They were pretty rare. Um, in the green times, when you get a lot more uh, prey available, uh, then they would have started started expanding and uh, adapted to different um different specific uh, ecosystems like uh you know instead of uh, the islands or the uh, the forests uh, they would have adapted to the deserts and that's when they really came into their own so by the time that uh, the whole place became seven variations of desert uh they were ready to expand fully and uh, and show up all over the place Nice. Uh, Red King asks, have you played the latest 5th edition of D&D? And if so, what do you think of the important points to highlight for Thrykreen characters in that edition? I haven't played 5th edition yet. I've uh, I've got it. I've read uh, through the books, but uh, I haven't been able to play it yet. Um, so... Um, I would uh, I would focus mostly on the role playing aspects of the Thrykreen um, if I were going to adapt them for 5th. Um they're they're a little bit overpowered um but i think you can balance that a little easier in fifth edition too john michelson asked if there were further plans for them in 2e if the setting had continued uh and if not what did you sort of see going on with your personal game and story writing uh, in terms of what would happen next with the cream we already sort of talked about your your thoughts on the war setting and how war doesn't make always a very good backdrop for adventure gaming. So if you averted that war, for instance, where do you think the, the Torkreen story might've gone? Well, I think it's uh, the exploration uh, for me, what I would have done with a campaign would be the exploration into the Torkreen empire. Um, whether the characters are Thrykreen or something else, uh, I think there would have been, an opportunity to find new things and uh, maybe to uncover um, a Zikchil plot uh, or, you know, is there something more? Is there an invasion planned? Um, or what what lies beyond the Torkreen Empire? What are the Torkreen protecting the rest of the lands from? Um, might be a good question, too. Uh, that uh, the idea that there might be something really, really awful on the far side, and the only reason they aren't here is because the Torkreen are keeping them back. Um, so I would have explored into the Torkreen Empire and uh, and played with that idea quite a bit. So if if people were, it's a, Eric Annenson Annenson asks, uh, what plot ideas that you put in the book did you most want to see experienced by an adventuring party? Just the the idea of uh, the Thrykreen and then the Torkreen as something other than a combat monster. Um, that they had an underlying society um, and that, that you have an, a, a variety of, of adventuring types. Um, 
so that, uh, you know, what I would want to see would be um, players realizing those as a, a fully developed race with its own quirks and coolness rather than, you know, like I said, just something to fight, which I think is what a lot of it ends up being. Mm-hmm. Um, he also continues and he says, uh, did you ever get to play or DM in an entire party of Thrycreen? If so, do, do you remember anything of that experience? We never did a full party of Thrycreen, um, but uh, there were a couple that I toyed with where um, I used uh, Thrycreen and Torcreen NPCs as a, a counterparty. Um, but no, I never got to do the, the full Thrycreen party. That would have been fun. As I recall, there was an RPGA adventure that was built to be a, a, a special where everyone plays Kreen, but I've never actually been able to find a copy of it. Okay. Um, let me get your email address at some point and I'll send you one. The, the adventure is called Clutchmate. Yeah. And it is the story of the great race to save Ka'acha. Um, because in... Uh, in in the game, in the campaign that we were running, uh, Ka'acha died there and was never brought back. Um, so the whole great race thing and uh, the aftermath of that was um, the the wish fulfillment of how I, I, I hoped it had gone. <laughs> um, and uh, and Tom Prusa, the the first of the thank yous in the book. Um, is the one that co-wrote that adventure with me. And, uh, um, and I've run that adventure a couple times at conventions and I get ridiculously emotional about it. Uh, when they, um, get to the final point of saving Kacha. <laughs> oh, well, I can't wait to see it. Um, this of course means that now I'm going to have to run it for one of my dark sun groups and then share with everyone on the internet, how that goes. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because literally like a couple of days ago, okay. uh, someone just sent that to me. So I just got it and have not even had a chance to crack it open yet. <laughs> um, but yes, I will also be running that. Um, okay. Let's see. So, you know, a lot of times when we write things, you know, editors kind of clip and cut things kind of, was there anything that you were, uh, that you really loved that you had written that kind of got cut out of the book? Uh, no, they gave me a lot of free reign, uh, with that, uh, Tim Brown, uh, the creator of dark sun, uh, was, um, well, the primary, uh, was the director of design at that time. And, uh, yeah, he really gave me, um, just a, a lot of leeway for what I wanted to do with it. I think the only thing I got pushed back on was that I thought it would make sense for Thrycreen to be completely immune to sleep spells and that kind of effect. Mm-hmm. But for game balance, I'll allow that. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any other last questions, uh, Jesse? Uh, I've got so much swirling in my mind from this already. Uh, I feel like I've got my insect mind <laughs> power turned on and I need to go and, and huddle somewhere and make some clicking noises. Um, <laughs> this has been an amazing deep dive. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tim. There he, he's doing the, uh, for, for those that, that can't <laughs> see, he's doing the little, little mantis hands. Um, <laughs> well, you're very well. 
Well, thank you so much, Tim. It was really great having you. <laughs> this has been wonderful. Three green threat pose. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, very um, happy to do it. And uh, yeah, just it's always good uh, revisiting old prints like the, the Thrike Green book. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, it, and where can people find you online? Um, mostly on Facebook. Uh, that's and I'm not terribly active there, but uh, yeah, you, you can look me up on Facebook. I I pop up in uh, various Dark Sun groups and other things occasionally and uh, make comments, and I'm happy to discuss stuff with uh, people. Um, and, uh, I haven't gotten my, my own website set up, but, uh, it's a matter of time. I'm, I'm doing some self-publishing now, um, uh, with a, a little introductory game system of my own and, uh, that'll be under beach house games at some point. So. Well, cool. When we, once we hear about that, we will definitely shout it out to folks. Yeah. Uh, so Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. I've learned so much about the Thrykreen. They've always been one of my kind of favorite races and all that backstory and cool little details is, uh, you know, are amazing. So thank you so much again. You're very welcome. And thank you. So Jesse, uh, <laughs> where can we find you online? Well, as always, uh, I am on both Facebook and Twitter uh, under my full name, Jesse Heinig. Um, and you can uh, pop spot me popping into the Dark Sun Discord from time to time as well. Nice. And you can find me on Twitter at Radu76. That's R-A-D-D-U-76. I'm in on the Facebook, uh, the Dark Sun Facebook group, uh, on the Discord on, at arena.athis.org. Uh, and you can, of course, follow us at, at Obsidian Athis to uh, follow this podcast on Twitter. Um, you can find us uh, on Stitcher, on uh, iTunes, everywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, so please go leave us a review. Uh, if you have other friends that are fans of Dark Sun, you know, shoot them a link. And uh, we'd, we'd love to uh, hear from you. You can email us at obsidian at athis.org. Thanks, everybody. Thank you all. Bone, Stone, and Obsidian is hosted by the Misdirected Mark Network, the media arm of Encoded Designs.